invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. What a great day. It dawned on me, I hadn't said this already, but, you know, we go from having no services for about eight months to two in one day in two different locations. So there's been a few glitches this morning, so thanks for your patience on that. God's been good. Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to look at responses to the resurrection this morning, and you're seeing specifically the responses of the women that came to the tomb, the guards that had guarded the tomb, the religious leaders, and then the followers of Christ. And the question is, how do you respond to things? If something good happens to you, how do you respond? Probably with a smile on your face. You may shout and sing. You may do a little dance. You may run. You may shout. If your team scores a touchdown, you just sit there, right? That's what I'm getting from some of you. Just like, yeah, that's what I do. If it's a bad thing that happens to you, what's your response? Maybe weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we're going to look at the responses to the resurrection. I had a had a good thing happen to me in seminary, or it started out to be good. This has been a hundred years ago when I was in seminary. I walk into the door of our apartment. My wife's there, and two of our dear friends are there. Steve and Susan were there, and they immediately when I walked in, they took my picture. Do you know why they took my picture? Because they wanted my response to what they were showing me on the front page of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. There was a headline that said, Robert Shaw wins a $10,000 shopping spree. And so they got the headline. I hadn't seen the paper. I'd come home from school. They had the paper with the headline on it. Took my picture. Now, this is before cell phones. So they actually used a camera, and they had to develop the film. I know some of you are thinking, what in the world is a camera? My camera, I can call people on it. No. Back then, they were just cameras. There's only one problem. My wife was a little bit excited. Steve and Susan were just beyond ecstatic, and I'm not real excited. You know why? Because the contest that I supposedly had won, I didn't enter. It turns out there's more than one Robert Shaw in the world. And apparently there's more than one Robert Shaw in the Fort Worth area. So somebody named Robert Shaw won a $10,000 shopping spree. I didn't get any of it. But they wanted my response on camera. So we're going to look at this passage this morning, and I'm going to walk through... Instead of reading the whole passage, I'm just going to walk through the passage we're looking at right now. And that is, first of all, the women's response. So verses 1 through 3 and then 5 through 10. So let me put my glasses on. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Then we go to verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So the first response we see is the women. What are the women doing? It's the Sabbath day is over. Today, after the Sabbath, is now Sunday morning. They left their home early in the morning, 
And what is their motivation? Their motivation is love for Jesus. Their motivation is serving Jesus. Their motivation even is mourning. They came to the tomb that day expecting to find a dead body that had been prepared for burial, but they were going to come and add spices to it because what happens to dead bodies? They decay. They didn't have embalming back then, so they had wrapped him in spices just to cover up the stench of decay. And so the women are doing something very loving, and that is they are anointing the body. And they had a conversation between themselves. Who's going to roll the stone away? It's going to take several strong men to roll the stone away. There's no way the women, however many of them there were, we only see two named in this passage, Mary and the other Mary. But we know from others there's about five women that came that morning to the tomb. They're not going to be able to move the stone. So they're thinking maybe one of the guards will help us. But they might not even know there were guards. So I don't know who they thought was going to roll the stone away, but they didn't have to worry about it for long, did they? Because when they got there, an angel was sitting on the stone. In fact, it says an earthquake had occurred. What do you think caused the earthquake? I think the angel did. I think the supernatural coming to earth to sit on that stone caused an earthquake. It's the second earthquake we see at the Easter or the resurrection story, and that is one earthquake happened when Jesus died. Another earthquake happened when he rose from the dead. And so the stone's been rolled away. The angel's sitting on it, and this, this description of the angel is he was amazingly bright in appearance and had on bright clothes. So this supernatural angel is sitting on the throne, on the, on the tomb stone that has been rolled away. And he says something to the ladies. In fact, I want you to listen because he says the same exact things that Jesus says to them. He says, first of all, don't be afraid. Aren't we glad that they say that in scripture? Times that the supernatural occurs, an angel appears to anybody Typically, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Why? Because you're afraid of the supernatural, aren't you? So the, the, the women see this angel sitting there, and they're probably a little bit afraid of the fact this guy's glowing in the dark, and he's got on white clothing like they've never seen before. Supernatural. And so they're afraid, but they're also afraid because something's happened to the body of Christ, and they can't explain it. So the angel says to them, do not be afraid. You're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He's not here anymore, for he's arisen. Again, this is not what these ladies thought they were going to hear that morning. This was a surprise. This was the supernatural on full display in front of them. So don't be afraid. And he says, go quickly. So he tells the women, go quickly. What are they to do? They're to go back and tell his disciples. So the disciples, where are they at this point? They're hiding in the upper room. Why are the disciples hiding in the upper room? Because Jesus has been crucified and they're next. They're, they have a very human response to what's happened. They followed Christ for three years. They had heard him teach about his death and resurrection, but they hadn't paid attention real well, had they? Because it was beyond anything they could imagine or think. In fact, Jesus himself had already told them, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to re- be raised from the dead on the third day, and I will go and meet you in Galilee. So he had already given them instructions. They, that wasn't on their radar screen at all. They weren't thinking about that at all. So the women are to go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee, leave for Galilee, and you will see him there. So the followers are going to hear this message. And this is what amazes me. The, the women, when they leave, says they left in fear and great joy. I pondered that over the last week studying this passage. In fact, the last couple of weeks thinking about this passage. I think, how do those two exist in the same breath? They left in fear. Literally, the word is phobu, where we get the word phobia from, but it, trauma, alarm. The women are afraid. Why are they afraid? 
Because something is happening that they can't explain, something supernatural. I think fear always accompanies a little bit the supernatural because it's outside of our comfort zone, isn't it? But it also says they left in great joy. So they've heard the word of the angel. They believe him. Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. His body hadn't been stolen. He's not still dead. He's alive. He's been raised from the dead. So they leave with great joy. The word megas that we talk about seems like every time I preach, three or four Sundays of every summer, I have to explain the word megas because it's the Greek word that it's mega. It means huge. It means large. It means enormous joy, delight. So they left in fear, but they also left in great delight, those two existing at the same time. And then what happens? As they're leaving, Jesus meets them. They see Jesus. I don't know how far they had gotten away from the tomb, but they're on their way to the disciples to tell them the good news, and Jesus meets them. And what do they do? They grab his feet. How are they going to grab his feet? It means they're on their knees now. They're face forward in front of Jesus, and they worship him. Folks, if you don't hear me say anything else today, I hope you hear me say this. When you encounter the risen Jesus, the most natural response is going to be to worship him. That's why we come into a worship service. That's why we sing. That's why we hear the word proclaimed. We are worshiping Jesus today. Why? Because he's worthy to be worshiped. So they fall and grab his feet. They're holding on to them, but it's a sign of humility. They're not grabbing his head. They're not hugging him. They're grabbing his feet to humble themselves before Jesus. So my encouragement for you is as you enter times of worship, and don't wait for Sunday, certainly don't wait just for Easter. You've heard of CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only Christians. You know, I've made my two holy days. Well, good for you. But if you're waiting till next Christmas to have a worship service with Jesus, you're missing the point. Every day should be a day that you worship Christ, right? How do you do that? You don't want to hear me sing in the morning, but you know what? I've got other people that will sing for me as I'm getting ready in the morning. I can pull up my cell phone and hit Pandora or anything, music that will play music, praise music. Make that a part of every day. And I encourage you to make it part of your beginning of every day. Worship him. And what does the word worship mean? It's two words in the Greek that means to kiss towards. Ever heard that? That's the word most often used in Scripture for worship is the word to kiss towards. So here's what I want you to think about as you worship Jesus. Today during this service and in the morning when you click your Pandora on, I want you to think I'm kissing towards Jesus. I'm showing affection. I'm showing love. I'm showing appreciation to that which I value the most. So the women's response to seeing Jesus was to to fall on their face in humility, to grab his feet, and to worship him. So the response of the women is to worship Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? Same thing the angel said. First thing, don't be afraid. He knew they were afraid. He knew there was still fear existing in them. Even though they were holding by the feet right now, even though they were worshiping him, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go. Don't stay here clinging to me, but I've got a job for you. Go and tell. And he uses a different word. He says the brethren. The angel said, go tell the disciples. How many of the disciples were there at this time? Eleven. Judas is not around anymore. He had committed suicide after betraying Jesus. So Jesus says, The angel says, go tell the disciples. Jesus says, go tell the brethren, literally the followers, because there's going to be more than 11 that are going to meet Jesus the next time they see him. So he says, go, take word to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So the same thing the angel had told them, go tell them to leave for Galilee. Then let's look at the guards' response, verses 4 and then 11 and 12 and 15. Let me read that. The guards 
shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Then 11 and 12. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of the money to the soldiers. Verse 15. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. So the motivation of the women was to come to serve lovingly. They came to love Jesus. They came to serve Jesus. They came to mourn a dead body. The motivation of the soldiers was just a couple of things. To do their duty and to stay alive. Because to fail in their duty meant death. So when the angel appears, it says they shook and became like dead men. They, were, they fell out out of fear. And so while the women are on their way, some of the guard goes into the city. Well, how many guards were there? Scholar, if you read commentaries, you're going to hear anywhere from 4 to 12 to 16 to 25. We know there's more than two because it says some of them went into the city. So it couldn't be one left at the tomb and one went into the city or it wouldn't be some. I think more like a dozen or more guards. Typically, four guards would stay awake while the others slept. And then it, when their turn was over, four more would be put in position to watch the tomb while those four slept. So it could have been 12 or 16 or 24 it was a bunch of guards. They go into the city, and what are they going to the city for? They're in trouble. <laughs> they have every right to be afraid. Why? Because they failed in their duty. The angel has rolled the stone away. They know the tomb is empty. They're in big trouble. But they don't go to Pilate. They don't go to the governor. They go to the religious leaders. And it may be because they said, you know what, this whole idea was theirs in the first place. But maybe they thought they'll help us out. So they go to the religious leaders and tell them, they reported to the chief priest all that had happened. Well, what had happened? Well, what happened is they had been sent over to guard a tomb, and they had failed in their duty. Did they tell them about the angel? Probably so. They told them all that had happened. So the angel, they said, listen, we've never seen anything like this. An angel came down by himself through an earthquake, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. And we became like dead men. We couldn't do anything. We were passed out. And I don't even know if they knew that the women had come and left. But these soldiers had witnessed the supernatural. And they became like dead men. Then let's look at the religious leader's response. Verses 12 through 14. So this happens at the same time. The conversation that the guards have with the religious leaders. Now let's look at the religious leaders. Verses 12 through 14. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said... You were to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So what was the motivation of the religious leaders? The motivation of the religious leaders was to get rid of Jesus. The motivation of the religious leaders were to control the uprising that had occurred. There were Jews that were not following the Jewish faith anymore. They were becoming believers. They had become followers of Jesus Christ. And it upset the religious leaders. And so they had tried everything to shut Jesus up, and they couldn't do it. So they assembled themselves together. That meant 70 religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees together, became the Sanhedrin. That, we talked about Nicodemus this morning at the sunrise service. Nicodemus was one of the Sanhedrin. I doubt he was invited to this meeting anymore because he had identified with Jesus, right? He had claimed his body off the cross. But here's, they go into a back room. They hear what the, the guards tell them. They go in this back room and say, okay, what are we going to do? Well, you know, what worked with Judas is we gave him 30 pieces of silver and he did what we wanted him to do. Let's see how much we've got to give these guards for them to tell a lie. So what they're saying is tell everybody that 
while you were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the body away. And here's some money. Well, what are you going to do? If you're one of the guards that you fear for your life because you failed in your duty, the, the penalty for you failing in your duty was you would be executed. So it says they took the money. But several problems I have with that. First of all, think about all that had been happening from the time Jesus was born. How many people had tried to thwart his mission? Herod. When Jesus was born, Herod found out through the wise men that the Messiah had been born. So he had all the male children in that area put to death. He thought he had stomped him out. Second thing, he was accused of working miracles in Satan's power. So when the religious leaders couldn't explain away the fact that he was healing people, turning water into wine, he was performing miracles, they said, well, he's doing it based on the power of the evil one. Number three, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath law. So the, the Pharisees followed Jesus around, tried to catch him in any act that would show them that he is... Not for God. He's against God. He's, he's healing people on the Sabbath. What are we going to do about it? Number four, blasphemy. They accused him of blasphemy, and that's ultimately what they put him to death for, that he claimed to be God. He used, they used blackmail to get him crucified, and they used armed force to keep him in the grave. And then they engaged in bribery, lies to hide the resurrection. They said, you are to say the disciples came at night while we were asleep. Think about this for a minute. Because it goes on to say that story was reported and was still being reported when Matthew wrote his gospel. Thirty years after the resurrection, they're still believing that the guards were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. Here's the big problem with that. If you're asleep, how do you know what happened? You ever thought about that? That's the, that's the best they could come up with. They get together and say, okay, what are we going to do? Somebody probably raised their hand. Let's tell them to tell people they were asleep. What happened while they were asleep? Well, they're going to say, we were asleep, and the disciples came and stole the body. Nobody apparently questioned, how do you know what happened if you were asleep? And the truth of the matter is, these were trained fighting men. These were guards of the Roman Empire. And they knew, you don't go to sleep on duty. So what had happened, it happened while they were like dead men. What had happened is, Jesus came out of the tomb, and the stones rolled away, not so that he could get out, but so that we could get in and prove, beyond any shadow of a doubt, he is arisen from the dead and listen his disciples didn't take him out of the tomb how do we know that they were scared to death they weren't going anywhere near the tomb most of them didn't even go to the cross they're hiding in the upper room thinking there's going to be a knock at the door somebody's going to break the door down and they're taking us to the cross next and so that story was circulated and was still being circulated 30 years after the fact when john's gospel was written so they took the money I don't know if they had a little conversation and said, what do you all think we do? They're offering us a bunch of money. It's kind of like you break your mother's favorite vase because you're running through the house and bump it off. It breaks. You go to your dad, and he says, here's $10. Don't tell your mother. That doesn't happen, does it? I mean, your dad may bribe you with $10, but it's not because he bro you broke the vase. It's because he broke the vase. So y'all have messed up, but we're going to give you money for the fact you messed up. And, hey, we're even going to bat for you if this comes to the governor's ear. How is it not going to come to the governor's ear? Do you think somehow the governor is going to be oblivious that there's now people going around saying Jesus has been risen from the dead, and, by the way, we've seen him because he appeared to more than 500 on one occasion. So it's going to come to the governor's ear, but the chief priest said, we will go to bat for you, and we'll tell the same story we're telling you to tell everybody, and that is the disciples stole his body. One problem with that is all they had to do was go find the body. Go find the disciples. Where are they hiding the body? And just parade it through the streets of Jerusalem. 
He's not risen from the dead. Here's his body. He's still dead. They couldn't do that. So the response of the religious leaders are come up with this cockamamie story and convince the guards to support it. And, of course, they have no choice because they're going to get killed. And then we get to the followers' response. Jesus has told them to go meet him in Galilee. Do they go to Galilee immediately? Where are they on Sunday, the resurrection Sunday? They're in the upper room. Jesus comes and appears to them. Remember the story? But Thomas wasn't with him. Thomas is there the next time they get together, and they say, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is alive. And Thomas says, you're right, I'm not going to believe it. They're going to call me Doubting Thomas because I don't believe it. He says, I won't believe it unless I can put my hands in his wounds and prove to me that he is the Son of God. The week after that, he appears in the upper room again, and Thomas sees him. And Jesus says, you want to come put your hands in my wounds? And Thomas says, no, listen, I see and I believe. And Jesus says, blessed are those who don't see and still believe. That means you and I. We weren't there to see the wounds. We weren't there to put our hands in the wounds. But we believe by faith because God's called us to faith. So it's been eight days now, and they decide, well, let's go to Galilee. Well, it took five or six or maybe seven days to walk to Galilee. Jerusalem, you've got to walk through the mountains, walk through the desert to get back over to Galilee. So it's probably day 15 before we get to this last passage we're going to look at. Let me read verses 16 and following. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designed or designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus meets them on the mountain he had designated. Here's where you're to meet me. So not just the 11 disciples, but we believe this is what is described by Paul in 1 Corinthians. On one occasion, more than 500 gathered. So I think there's over 500 people there seeing Jesus. The disciples believed, but some were doubtful. Why were they doubtful? Because they hadn't seen somebody been raised from the dead. They had known that Jesus was crucified on the cross. They saw him beaten. They saw him With a spear in his side, they knew he was dead, and yet now they see him. But when they hear him speak, they begin to believe. And Jesus speaks and says, here's the great commission. Here's what you're to do. So the followers, what was their motivation? Initially, their motivation was fear. They're hiding in a room because they're afraid they're next. But I think ultimately their motivation became a love for the Savior. And in fact, it says when they saw him on the mountain, what did they do? Worshipped him. They kissed towards him in worship. Doesn't say they grabbed him by the feet, but they said they honored him as the supernatural son of God risen from the dead. And Jesus gives them his instructions. Listen, this is the most important thing that I want to share with you this morning. If you miss this, you've missed the message of the gospel. Jesus says to them, go. Jesus says, I've been here for three. He doesn't say this, but this is the truth. Jesus says, I've been here for three years. You've seen me teach people. You've seen me heal people. You're now to go and do the same. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. The the imperative of the passage is to make disciples. The word go could be translated as you go, make disciples. And that's not just a message for the 500 or more on the hillside in Galilee. That's our message, men and women. We're to take the message of the gospel and share it with all the nations. As you go, well, where do you go? Well, some of you go to school. Some of you go to work. Some of you 
go to shopping. Some of you go through your neighborhood. As you go, you don't have to go somewhere special. Just tell people about Jesus, but also be intentional. There's some places we go intentionally, whether it's mission trip overseas or whether it's intentionally to a neighbor that we know needs to know Jesus. And they, we've been praying for them, and we're going to tell them, hey, how can I pray for you? So go, make disciples. And who are we making disciples of? All the nations. Is there any nation left out of all the nations? No. But before all this, he says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus says, I have the power, and you've seen my power displayed. Now because of that power, I'm sending you. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. In light of Jesus' authority, we make disciples. In light of Jesus' power, we make disciples. Is it up to you to win somebody to Christ? You, can't, you can tell people about Jesus, but ultimately it's God's responsibility to draw them into relationship with himself. So all we do is do what God's called us to do. As you go, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism. It was practiced by the Jews. They did baptism. It was practiced by John the Baptist, and it was more kind of a washing away of sins. The baptism we see here is to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all I've commanded you. So here's what Jesus is saying to these followers, and he's saying to us, as you go, make disciples. Gain pupils, gain students, gain people that want to know about me, and you're teaching them to follow me as Lord and Savior. You can begin discipleship before somebody comes to faith in Christ. It could be that by the time they finally come to faith in Christ, they already know a lot about Jesus. They certainly, the Apostle Paul, when he came to Christ on the road to Damascus, he already knew about God because he had been a Jew among Jews. So go, and as you go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. What Jesus is saying is what you've heard from me over the last three years, teach that to the people that you come in contact with. And then the great word is, and lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. So as we go, we go because Jesus sends us. As we go, we go because Jesus has commissioned us. So what's your response to Easter this morning? We looked this morning at the response of the women the response of the guards, the response of the religious leaders, the response of his followers. What's going to be our response? Do we just have a great Easter celebration? Do we go to a sunrise service or worship service at the chapel and go back to business as usual? Listen, our response to the gospel message is to tell other people about it. Jesus says to the disciples and the followers, go. We're going to go. You're going to go today. You may go out to lunch. You may go to work tomorrow. You may go back to school. As you go... Tell people about Jesus. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. 